or three. And while you're doing that, I'll uh, just share. While she was while she was singing, one of the lines in there said, "If you don't know love, you don't know God." And I 100% agree with that statement. You can't know God without knowing love, but also you can't know love without knowing God. Um, God is love. We, we've discussed it time and time again, or I've at least expressed it over and over again, how that you know, the world has twisted what love is. The world has changed the definition of love. The world has perverted love. And no, I'm not going to preach a message on love. I mean, it, it is a loving message, what we're going to look at. But uh, it's, you can't have love without God, and you can't have God without love. And I, I, I can't get over the fact of how confused the world is about what love truly is. L love is not just... I'll, I'll use their terminology. Love is not just accepting you for who you are. Love is acknowledging that you're, you're, you're a fallen creature and acknowledging the fact that you need a Savior and acknowledging the fact that you can't save yourself and giving you the information you need so you realize that, so you turn to the God that do, does love you. It's not loving to let someone to continue down that path of destruction. True love is trying to bring correction so they can continue a, a longer life instead of falling headlong into that destruction that's ahead of them. And if I continue there, we will preach a message on what love is. We will hear that this morning. Um, I, I know Valentine's Day is Wednesday. Um, I almost didn't say anything, but I, I, I want to be known. I'm not oblivious to what's going on around us. Um, but most of y'all that know us know that Jocelyn's birthday is also Valentine's Day, so that's not a, it's more about Jocelyn than it is about the candy hearts and the flowers and everything else that goes around. Um, and I'll say this, husbands, actually I'll say this to everybody, not just husbands. If you have to pick one day a year to show love to your significant other, husbands, if you have to wait until Valentine's Day or your anniversary to show love to your wife, or wives, if you have to wait until Valentine's Day or your anniversary to show love to your husband, um, then you need to, you're just as confused as the rest of the world on what love is. So I'm not saying don't celebrate it. I'm just saying don't wait till then to celebrate it. So anyway, commercial over. Romans chapter 3. <coughs> Here, uh, if you remember last week, we were looking at Romans chapter 2, and it was about the hypocrisy between the I think it was last week, yeah. It's been a long week for me, I guess. But we were looking at Romans chapter 2, and it was about hypocrisy and about how the Jews thought they were above the Gentiles and how, about the, and how they had a different set of rules and all this. And then Paul closes out chapter 2 basically saying that outward circumcision, that outward sign of your devotion to God means nothing without the inward change. That, that hypocrisy is futile. And then he jumps right back in to that same conversation right there at the beginning of chapter 3. And he's more or less answering questions that he knows that they're going to have or rebuttals that they're going to have to his statement of, you know, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean nothing, basically is what he was saying. 
but he didn't mean it in the sense that it's useless to be a Jew, which we'll see. And he knows this because, remember, Paul was or is a Jew. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he memorized, he, he did all the things he was supposed to do as a good little Jew boy as he was growing up, got the greatest education. That's why he had these letters going and, and taking over these Christian factions, if you will, and, and throwing folks out and all this before he got converted. And then he, he jumps right in, coming from a Jewish mindset, saying, all right, I know you are going to have these rebuttals, so here, let me solve this problem before we move forward. He says in verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? He's saying, I know you're already going to ask, what good is it to be a Jew then if that means nothing? He says, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. He said, it was a great privilege to be a Jew, that chosen nation. Um, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but out of the 66 books of the Bible, only two were not penned by a Jew. And it would have been Luke and Acts. So that means out of all the authors, the only author that was not a Jew, that would have been Luke. And so I would say it's a very great privilege to be a Jew. But it's not really an advantage over your salvation is what Paul's trying to drive home is that all this means nothing when it comes to the faith, but it was a great privilege. He continues on and that comes up with another thought. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let, be, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. And he's saying now they're saying, well, if, if all the Jews are lumped in together, that means if one Jew didn't believe all the scriptures, then does that mean that our faith in God is null and void? No, just because y'all are all the chosen nation doesn't mean that all of the chosen nation will make the right decision. Let God be true and every man a liar. Don't, don't let your own thoughts, your own, your own ideology, and don't let the thoughts and ideas of man pull you away from what God has already clearly stated. He continues on in verse 5, But if our unrighteousness commend or, or brighten or, or, or make no, more well known the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. You're saying, so if, it, so you're, what you're saying is that even through our wickedness, through our unrighteousness, and God's grace is just made known more, he's basically saying, so if the more I sin and the more God forgives, that just proves his power more so. So why shouldn't I just continue? Why even try and be a righteous Jew? Why even try to be right? Why even try to live a holy life? Why even try to live the example? Why even, what, what even put forth the effort for? He's thinking like many people think today. What's the point? This morning I'm going to, I've, I've been trying to do better about having a title now so it'll be easier for people to at least get an idea of but just 
the, the thought as I was reading through this chapter and studying through here, the thought is simply this, the law can't save you now. And that's what they're thinking. If the law can't save us, if it's God's grace, then why do we even care about the law? Why do we even follow the law? Why do we even, why do we even try to live a righteous life? Why do we even, what's the whole point if he's just going to forgive us anyway by having our faith in him? What's the point? If the law can't save you now, what's the point? Because <coughs> to be honest, how many do think like that? And how many accuse us of having that mentality of, you know, well, y'all just believe that you can just believe in God and go live however you want and do whatever you want. And, and, and well, technically you can, but again, as a new creature, your wants are different. You don't want to live a sinful life anymore. You don't want to walk away from the Lord. You want to walk closer to the one that saved you. But he's, he's trying to answer all these questions before they can even ask him. Because remember, he, he's not standing there in Rome having a conversation with these Roman Christians. He's not standing there with these new Jewish converts and having a one-on-one conversation. Well, this is a letter that he's writing to the church of Rome. So he's thinking ahead of time of, all right, so they're going to ask this, and here's the response. They're going to ask this, here's the response. They're going to ask this, here's the response. So he's, he, he's already thinking ahead because I wonder how many times he thought these things too. Again, being a converted Jew, how many times did he think, well, was all that I learned for naught? And before we even get into the rest of the chapter, I, just these first eight verses, I, I, I kind of see the same issue Again, I, I grew up in church, so I, I've seen what kids do in church. I've seen what teenagers do in church. I've seen what the adults do in church. I've seen what the grandparents, I've seen all the generations of what they do. I, I've watched, and it's almost like this same attitude that he's, he, he's accusing, more or less, the Jewish converts of having of, you know, what's the point of us even doing anything right if all these Gentiles are going to be able to just come to the Lord and, and, and ask forgiveness and be forgiven and have grace and mercy? Why do we even try? Aren't we better than them? Because we've been in church, because we've been faithfully serving, there's the same mentality I see in, or I have seen is people who grow up in church, they've got the mentality of all this, all those badges I won in Awanas, don't they mean anything? All those church camps I went to, does that not mean anything when this, this individual who's been out in the world living wicked and they can just come to Christ anyway? And Paul's saying, no, don't take that for granted. That's great. Continue in doing that. And again, it's just one of those things that I, I think about is how many times do we, again, as somebody who grew up in church, before I got saved, before I truly understood the grace of God, and I still don't understand it to its fullest extent, but I understand it better than what I did before I, when I was just a church kid. Now as a born-again believer, I understand it a whole lot better. But all those years, what, I'll, that's, I think that's why I left church, really is because I saw it all and I was like, well, what's the point of even trying then? And Paul's just saying, all that is good stuff. Don't throw that away. The grace of God is still good. The grace of God is still important. The, the, his mercy and love and, and forgiveness is, is still the key. 
You, the law can't save you. But that doesn't mean we need to ignore it. And that's where we pick up in verse 9. He says, he, again, this, I've already stated this statement. He says, what then? Are we better than they? So the Jews were talking about, are we, better than, are, are we better than the Gentiles? The same thing as a lot of church folks, if you will, say about unchurched folks. Aren't we better than them? says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved on both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Here he's answering another question of, well, who, who's, who's important here? Who is right? Who is worthy? Who's doing the right things? Who's better than the other? That, that spirit of competition, that spirit of comparison will cause a lot of problems. And Paul squashes that real fast. There's none righteous, no, not one. As I was looking through this section here, is, is just continuing, trying to figure out what Paul's relaying here. Because again, even though he's writing to the church of Rome, it still can pertain to us today. We can still learn from it and glean from it. And he's, he's saying here, he's reminding them that, look, there's none righteous. I, I, the, the none brothers, if you will, just there's none righteous. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after the Lord. Where is, uh, where is it? Verse 18. Yeah, verse 18. It says, no, but there's none that fear God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's none righteous. There, there's, there's, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh, and there's none that fear. There, there's nobody that's right where they're supposed to be of themselves even the Jews are not righteous even the even the most devout Jew who brought their sacrifice every every time a sacrifice was due and brought all the sacrifices that were due their, their, their sin offering their heave offering their wave offering all these different offerings that we read about in the Old Testament they, they would bring those and and they, they, they lived the righteous life they were still wicked and vile in need of a Savior. Just as much as the drunk Gentile in the street who didn't even care about any, anything about God. Just as much as the, the prideful American today needs a Savior. There's none righteous. There's none that seeketh after the Lord. And I know that one can be misconstrued. Some would say, well, Scripture says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found and, and, and chase, you know, come unto him. And, well, none of us naturally seek the Lord. It was his sacrifice on Calvary. It was the Holy Spirit drawing us that call us to him. And that's when we do seek after him, even as born-again believers. If it was not for the Holy Spirit, for if it was not for that converted spirit inside us, for that new heart, we would not seek after him even as born-again believers. Well, we wouldn't be born again without him, but there would be no drawing. There would be no desire to come after him. There is none that just seeks after the Lord. There is none that <coughs> understandeth. I told you all, you know, even when it comes to the grace of God, 
I, I understand it better now, but I still don't understand it completely. When it comes to the mercy of God, I, I, I don't understand how a perfect, righteous, holy God can show mercy to a vile sinner like me. I know who I am. I know how wicked I was. I know how wicked I still am. I'm not near as bad as I was, but I'm still not perfect. I still fail. I still walk off into sin. I'm not going to say fall off into sin. I still make sinful decisions. I'm not perfect. Which is why I need the mercy and grace of God. And I don't understand how He can do that. I don't understand how, how He can still use me after all I've done. There is none that understandeth. Even the, the greatest scholars, even, we'll use Paul since he's the one writing this. Paul, he was a great biblical scholar. He understood most, he, under, he understood more than most in his generation. He understood more than most in this generation. But yet even he admits that he doesn't understand at all. But yet we still have a, a world of people chasing after knowledge and wisdom, trying to understand it all, trying to make sense of it all instead of just trusting Him. <coughs> there, there is no fear of God. I know I'm jumping some verses here, but jump down to verse 18. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is none that fear the Lord. As a matter of fact, especially in today's day and time, how many have reduced God into just some kind of tolerant, passive, submissive, I, I, I don't even want to use the term that they use, being in the sky, the old man upstairs. Me and the old man upstairs got it all figured out. If you're admitting that you got it figured out, that you're a sinner headed to hell without the blood of Jesus Christ, then yeah, y'all do have it all figured out, but he's not the old man upstairs. They, they've reduced God to just some kind of mentality, a, a, a mindset instead of the almighty creator that he is. They, they've, they've reduced his word down to just a fairy tale. There is no fear of the Lord. And again, even, even born again believers, I'm not just talking about the, word, the world, but there's, there's even those that are born again who lack the proper fear and reverence of the Lord. That mentality that people claim Christians have of, you know, you just place your trust in the Lord and then you just go off and live however you want. Well, that's because of those that don't fear the Lord. They don't realize the damage that they're causing themselves or the name of God there by going off and living in a, in a sinful lifestyle. And, and again, I'll say this, um, God doesn't, God doesn't let you continue in that path forever. He do, scripture tells us that He does chasten His own. But it also tells us that He's long-suffering and patience and, and forbearing. Um, I'm not the one that wants to test His patience. Uh, I, I, know, I know how far my kids can test mine. And I know what happens once they get to that tipping point. <laughs> I don't want to be at that tipping point with God. I'm not going to test his long and his, his, his forbearance, his long suffering, his patience. I'm not going, I'm not going to test that. I, I'll, I'll, I'd much rather have the light correction and the light chastisement than the, that breaking point because God is a God of love. 
God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of justice. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of jealousy. All that wrapped up in one. So I, I would much rather stay on the mercy side of things and stay close to Him. But that, that none that fear, none that understand, none that seek after, and none that are righteous. Again, we live in a world where people say, you know, you are enough. Was it last week when I said that there was a, I saw where parents, there was something about a mom telling her, her, her child about, you know, it was a little meme that said, you know, that, you know, you're just a little sinner and you need a savior. And the, the caption on the meme said, it is, it is wicked and wrong to tell your children that they're not right. And it, it was like, literally what you just said is wicked and wrong. Because that's withholding the truth. There is none righteous. And what's interesting is as I'm repeating the words of Paul this morning, all Paul was doing was, was repeating the words from the Old Testament. <coughs> Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Psalm 14, 2 and 3, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Verse 30, uh, Psalm 36, verse 1, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away, turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It, it's interesting that if you go back to creation, God created man perfect in the garden. Sinless perfection in the garden. Man chose sin. Man was right. And as Isaiah put it, turned away. And because of that sin, it's passed down to all of us. All of us are turned away. We have become unprofitable to Him. We have, we have, we have become forsaken of the right way. We have, we have become unrighteous. Luke 1, 46 and 47, this is going to make nobody in here mad, I hope. This is going to make a certain sect of professing Christians very angry. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Even Mary herself needed the Savior. The very mother of Jesus Christ was wicked and unrighteous, and unholy, and needed a Savior. There is none righteous. What Scripture says, Scripture says. And Paul's writing this mostly to a bunch of newly converted Jews, reminding them that, look, yes, y'all were favored. Y'all are the very chosen people of God. God chose y'all in Israel. God chose y'all through the line of Abraham. God chose y'all way back when. 
God used y'all to build the temple. God used y'all to pen His Word. God used y'all to, to give so much. But that doesn't change the fact that you still need a Savior. God gave y'all the law, but it doesn't change the fact that you still need the one that fulfills the law. <coughs> verse 19. We, we, can, we can read all the other verses. Um, I'll, I'll back up. Verse, verse 10 said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth and none that seeketh after, the, after God. Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Doesn't that kind of describe the world? If we're honest, doesn't that describe us without Christ? I know we could all say, well, I've never killed nobody. I've never, I've never even been in a fight. We, not everybody could say that, but we could all have some kind of line of, I've never cursed nobody. I've never done this. I've never done that. We can all talk about what we've never done. But it doesn't change the fact that without Christ, there's none righteous. Again, that, that, that idea of comparison I, I love watching lawyer shows and movies and things like that that involve the law. And it, it's always interesting to me when somebody's brought forward and they're, they're clearly guilty of something. And their first thought is, well, I didn't do that. This has never happened to me, but I, I, I've thought of this. Imagine driving down the interstate and you go, you know, you're here you'd have to go way over 80 um here you're, you're doing 90 and somebody flies by you but you're the one that gets pulled over do you admit that you're wrong or are you saying but what about that guy that just flew right past us always trying to pass the blame and not take responsibility for self sin is sin wrong is wrong there's none that do right Verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 19 is saying, We have the law for the simple fact to prove that nobody can keep the law. We have the law to prove your unrighteousness to prove your need of a Savior. We have the law, says that every mouth may be stopped, that constant, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, but you did this. You're still wicked, whether you like to admit it or not. Don't y'all just love, the, it's such a loving, happy Valentine's Day week, you know, wonderful. You're wicked and vile and unrighteous and unholy. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, 
there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The Jews were given the law. They knew the law. They couldn't keep the law. Therefore, by the law, they had knowledge of their sin. They knew they were unable to keep it because they had the law. Same thing for us. We, we know we have God's word. Anybody in here want to raise their hand and say that they're able to keep all of God's word? I, I, Y'all notice I didn't raise my hand either. I don't, there, there's not a single one of us that can. Because I know it. Because I've been, giving his, I've been given His Word. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm unrighteous. And unable to fix that myself. Even if I was to start today with a clean slate. If I was to bring my offering to the Lord. A burnt offering. If we got rid of this pulpit and put an altar right here. And a smokestack. And I, we brought in offerings and, and offered up. By the time I got out that door. There would already be some kind of pride or envy or something else that already crept into my heart. I, I cannot keep the law. It even says there in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The law was not for justification. The law was for acknowledgement of sin. There's none righteous. The law can't save you now. That's what, that's what he's saying there. He's, he's looking at them and he says, look, you can do all you want. You can do all the crying you want. You can do all the sacrificing you want. You can do everything you, your heart desires, but the law can't save you now. And then 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul is again driving it home. But now he's, he's brought in a little bit of hope. Just as all have sinned, just as all are unrighteous, just as there's none that seeketh after the Lord, just as there's none that have the, the righteous fear of God in them. But righteousness of God is which, by, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon them all that believe. For there is no difference. Just as there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles when it comes to the sin, there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles when it comes to salvation. They all need Christ. They're all sinners. Nobody can keep the law, but anybody can believe in Christ. There's the love. You ready? Here's the love. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When God has set forth to be a propitiation, it's a really big word, propitiation. He, he, he took our place. To be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Being justified freely by His grace. 
the law is a heavy weight to carry. The law is a, is, is a big burden to bear. The law is a costly thing. And, and we'll get into it eventually, but if you go back, even just in Exodus, we're not there yet, but even just in Exodus, the, the laws and commands given to the children of Israel there, and then reiterated and explained more in Leviticus and, and compounded in Deuteronomy, you know, over and over you, you get these commands and the laws of God and all this. and It was a costly thing. All these sacrifices that they were told to bring, that cost something. To live holy and not, not chase after the ways of the world. How many of you know, there's some business people in here, how many of you understand that how, you know, how the world makes money is not a holy way to make money? Not to say that God won't bless you, because I know He can and I know He will and I know He has for doing right. But you look at the world and you, and you wonder how you got these millionaires and billionaires when they haven't done anything. Well, it's because they've not done it properly. They've lied, they've cheated, they've, they, they've, they've stolen. Not like a thief in the night, but like a extortioner in the day, I guess that's the best way to put it. It's a costly thing, at least in man's eyes, when it comes to the law. Here we are freely justified by His grace through the redemption of His blood, by the remission of our sins. And it's free. We're freely justified. Instead of the cost of the law, it's the freedom of love that has justified us. That has labeled us as holy, even though we're not has labeled us as righteous, even though we're not deserving. It's His sacrifice and, and the gift, not just of salvation, but of the Holy Spirit that draws us to Him. Because in our natural state, we won't seek after Him. It ain't the law that's going to save us. It ain't the keeping of the law that's going to correct us. It ain't the, the, the knowledge of the law that's going to make us righteous. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Then in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You'll see the comparison there. The law can't save you, but the love of Christ can. <coughs> the whole theme of Scripture, the whole idea of Scripture from beginning to end is God seeking us. Scripture says that the Son of Man cometh to seek and to save that which is lost. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Was it when, after sin? Was it Adam that went and sought God or was it God that came into the garden and sought after Adam? It, when we go through Scripture, we, we see God is looking over the world, watching and seeking. In, in Revelation at the end times, who, who's coming to who? It's Christ coming back to the world to get us, not us going to get Him. The whole story, the whole record, I hate to use story because then somebody could say, yeah, you said story, it's all made up. The whole record of Scripture 
is a promise of God seeking us because we can't come to Him. We can't keep the law. We can't be righteous enough. We can't be holy enough. We, we, can't, we can't reverence Him enough. We, we cannot do it in ourselves. Even having the entire book of the law, first half of the Bible just about, but is the Old Testament. Then you got the first five books, the Pentateuch considered the, the books of the law. It, having all of that recorded and given to us, we still can't keep it. And Paul's trying to drive that home to a group of Jews that have recently placed their trust in Christ, who are desiring to do right, but because they're so overpowered by the law, because that's the way they were taught. And, and again, because there's nothing wrong with the law, you're, not, you're never going to go wrong by following the law. But you can go wrong by placing your trust in the law instead of the love of Christ. And that's what the Jews were doing here. And Paul is trying to drive that home to them. And, and this morning, my prayer is that that's driven home into your heart as well, that we can't do enough. Because we're free, justified freely by His grace. It's not by the law that we're justified. It's, it's not the law that saves you. It's the love of God that saves you. The rest of the chapter continues on. <coughs> 20, verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. He says in verse 27, where is boasting then? Was it Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? I'm going to butcher it. I, I could have said it if I wouldn't have started to say it. <coughs> For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul said it to the Romans here. What is, what is boasting then? It is excluded. There is no way to boast of ourselves. There is no way to be prideful when we all have to come by the same faith, when we all have to come by the same blood, when we all have to come by the same cross of Calvary, when we all have to come by the same Savior, regardless of the law. The law exposes our sin. And the love of Christ expunges our sin. The, the, the law sheds light to let us know that we can't keep it. And the love of God shed His blood so He could keep us. <coughs> the law can't save you. Doing right can't save you. Giving to the church can't save you. Being at church 
can't save you. Reading your Bible every day, living, whole, living as holy as you can in the flesh, trying to, trying to do across all your, I was about to say cross all your E's and dot all your I's, that's backwards. Dot all your I's and cross all your T's can't save you. It's only by the redemption through Christ Jesus. It's only by the shedding of His blood and placing your, 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 your faith and your trust in Him. And, and I say all this with just this thought behind it. Is none of us should ever think that we have arrived and we're better than anyone else. No matter how far God brings us from where we were, it's still Him that brought us there. And the same God that, can bring, that brought us to where we are can bring someone else even farther than where we are. It's all on Him. The Jews wanted to trust in their own tradition. The Gentiles had no idea what to do other than trust in the one that died on Calvary. There was so much confusion about what's right. And Paul's trying to lay it down, not, not very softly and tenderly here. He's just laying it down as, as straight and true as it can be. It's not the law that saves you. It's the Lord. And today I challenge you, I encourage you to go out with that same attitude of the same Lord that saved me, the same God that loved me enough to die on Calvary, the same God that, that shed His blood, his, his perfect, pure, innocent, sinless blood, because I couldn't keep the law, is the same one that can save the next guy or girl, that can reach the next person. That same grace that has freely justified me can freely justify the next person. And the same Christian, regardless of where they are in their maturity and in their walk with Christ, that same Christian required the same blood that I required. The law can't save you, but the Lord can. And He is the only one that can. So let's keep that in mind and keep that in our hearts and as we go out and try to be that light into this world. Dear Lord, I just...